Welcome to the 52nd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about Major League Baseball and have the return of our feature, Random Assorted Important News. But let's first jump right in with a look at Major League Baseball, starting, as always, with the National League West. In the NL West, we have the San Francisco Giants in the lead. They are at 44-25, and two and a half games ahead of the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are in second place. Uh, the Giants are on a four-game winning streak currently, uh, and yeah, that two-and-a-half game against the Dodgers, it actually hasn't really grown. Uh, actually, both teams have the same record in the last ten games. On the other hand, uh, in third place are the San Diego Padres at 39-32. and 32. The Dodgers are 41-27, and 27, I should mention. Uh, the Padres are 39-32, and 32, six games back. Of the of the of the Giants and three and a half games back of the Giant uh, of the Dodgers, I, for some reason I can't get it out of my head. The Dodgers have won the division too many times in a row. I just can't stand to mention that the Dodgers aren't in the lead of the division. It's just it's just locked in there. Um, but I think they got swept by the Rockies actually earlier this week, which is not not something you should be doing if you're trying to win the division. And frankly, you look back at it at the end of the season. Those are the kinds of series that you look back and you say, that's why we lost the division this year. Just like if the Dodgers lose and the Padres end up taking first, they'll probably point to the four-game series they lost uh, with two extra innings games earlier this year at Dodger Stadium. So th- that's one of those series that you, you just can't let that go away. It's, a, it's against, a honestly, a very poor team in the Rockies there. Uh, but again, the Rockies continue their winning ways at home. That, that series sweep brought their record to 24-14. and 14. Uh, at home, which is actually two games better than the Padres' record at home, even though the Rockies are 29-41 and 41 and 15 and a half games back of the division in fourth place. Uh, they still are on a four-game winning streak, matching the Giants' winning streak. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10, as opposed to San Diego's 3-7 and seven in their last 10. And uh, then you go to the bottom of the division. Uh, the Diamondbacks, who are setting records in all the wrong places. They have set a record now for... The most consecutive, tied a record actually, for the most consecutive road losses in a row at 22 games in a row lost on the road. Uh, And they also are on the verge, uh, if they lose, which they're currently down 3 0 in the bottom of the eighth, uh, of losing their, I believe, yeah, their 15th straight game, which hasn't happened since 2013. Uh, Yeah, the Diamondbacks are awful. Uh, There's a reason I eliminated them from playoff contention last week already. They are 24 and a half games back of the Giants in the middle of June. We've played 70 games, and they are 24 and a half games back. That's ridiculous. That is like end of the season last place level. Not half, not even halfway, actually. Uh, pretty much, well, 7 sixteenths of the way through the season. Uh, 20 and 50 is just an awful record. Again, as I said, really bad road record. They have a minus 97 run differential, and somehow they're not actually worse in the league. We'll get to worse in the league soon. But yeah, overall, you have those top three in the NLS that are really the only contenders. And it looks like, frankly, it looks like the Dodgers and the Giants are separating themselves from the Padres. And we'll have to see. Uh, The Dodgers do play a series against the Padres very, very soon. I believe that starts on Monday. Uh, And if the Dodgers are able to come away with that series, even if it's just two out of the three... Uh, San Diego's got to be got to try to figure something out because, I mean, last year they had to work some trade deadline magic to put their roster in the right position. Uh, Mike Clevenger notably hasn't really played that much this season. He's been injured for a while, so it, it's very, 
it's very interesting. I don't know what they have. I don't know what they can do. I don't know what they have left in their... Frankly, I don't know what good prospects they have that any losing team would want, as opposed to turning to some other teams who didn't trade so much last season. Uh, they gave up a lot to get uh, you Darvish uh, in exchange for Zach Davies and some prospects. So the, I, I don't know what how much San Diego has left in terms of assets to trade. Uh, they're not like the Oklahoma City Thunder in the NBA, which we'll, we'll talk about them later. Uh, but it looks like this division is still going to be the, those three, but I'd say the Dodgers are still the clear favorites here, uh, being that after all the injuries, and by the way, still having Max Muncie, Corey Seager, and Cody Bellinger on the IL, and not even mentioning any of the pitchers that are also out, that they're still only two and a half games back to the Giants, who really only had one significant injury all season, and that's just starting out right now with Evan Longoria. Yeah, so uh, real quickly, the Diamondbacks actually beat the record for most consecutive losses yesterday. Uh, they, they had tied it. We, we're Dodgers fans. Dodgers had an off day. We kind of forgot that there was baseball yesterday. <laughs> so the Diamondbacks lost 23 in a row. And you were right. You officially buried them last week. I, I questioned uh, why you, you called them officially out of the race at 16 games back and maybe not some other teams. Uh, now they're 24 <laughs> back uh and then you mentioned it with respect to the Padres and the Dodgers I think the Dodgers like you said they just need to tread water until they can get some of their stars back um they've had some great fill-in acquisitions whether it's Albert Pujols uh who's been playing very well for the Dodgers especially the last 10 games Kevin Lux filling in for Corey Seager at shortstop and having Chris Taylor slide in as an everyday player is pretty interesting yeah. And they made uh, they, they made some minor league call-ups, some of whom got hurt, but they've just been stitching it together, holding it together. And also something interesting to note is that San Francisco is, is 20 games over 500 for the first time, or, or if they win tonight, I should say, is 20 games over, would be 20, would be 20 games over 500 for the first time since 2016, which, if you don't recall, was a World Series winning season for the Giants. Although, by the way, in that season, they still did lose the division to the Dodgers. So, again, not entirely impossible to go from the wild card to the World Series. Actually, the Nationals did it two years ago. Uh, but, yeah, the Giants, if, they, if, that's, if that's what their success level is at, that, that looks pretty good for the rest of the season for them, I would say. Also because it looks like they do have a legitimate chance to win this division, too. Yeah, they definitely do, barring injuries. But let's see what happens when the Dodgers are fully healthy. Uh, the other amazing thing is, despite, despite the Diamondbacks... Losing twenty three in a row, at on the road, I think the Rockies' away percentage is still worse than theirs at five and twenty seven. So just I think shows five and twenty seven is worse than nine. nine it, that yeah. is still tells you how pathetic the Rockies' road record is. The Arizona's lost twenty three in a row on the road, and they still have a better road win percentage. Shall we move to the NL Central? Yes, and then please do. Uh, in the NL Central, we have the surging Chicago Cubs, although they've cooled off a little bit uh, at thirty nine and thirty at the top of this division. Uh, six and four in their last ten. They are in front of the Milwaukee Brewers by two, or by one game, I should say, uh, at 38 and 31. Uh, Milwaukee has lost four in a row, and they are five and five in their last ten games. Cin- the Cincinnati Reds have lost their last game, actually, on a walk-off to the Padres. It's actually a pretty crazy game. Uh, there, were no- there was no scoring until the sixth inning, and actually a no-hit bid got broken up by a Fernando Tatis solo home run. Uh, and then Manny Machado hit a solo home run, and it looked like the Padres were just going to shut out the Reds and they were going to win. And down to their last out, the Reds actually managed to get a hit to tie the game up at two in the top of the ninth on a 3-2 pitch with two outs, and then hit a two-run home run. 
uh, to actually go up four to two, and then the Reds still managed to lose the game off of two so off of two home runs in the bottom of the ninth inning, and the Padres ended up taking that game. But that was the Reds' first loss in a very very long time. Uh, they, they were seven and three in their they were seven and three in their last ten, trending upwards all the way to be only three games back in this division at thirty five and thirty two, even ahead of the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, St. Louis now at thirty five and thirty five, four and a half games back of the Chicago Cubs. Uh, losing two in a row so far this or so far right now, and uh, four and six in their last ten, but not as bad as Pittsburgh, who I believe had lost eight or nine in a row uh, before their one win that they just got, and now they're twenty four and forty four on the season, uh, fourteen and a half games back with the worst run differential in the league at minus ninety nine. Somehow worse than the team who has lost 14 games in a row and 23 straight road games. Yeah, well, not very impressive. Shall we move to the NL East? Yes, because I'm not going to be eliminating the Pirates just yet. I didn't think so. It's a little crazy. Okay, well, let's move <laughs> over to the NL East. In the NL East, we have the ever-so-injured New York Mets still in first. Uh, four games ahead of the Philadelphia Phillies. The Mets are at 35-27. and 27. The Phillies are at 33-33. and 33. Uh, The Mets lost two in a row right now. But they are six and four in their last ten. Uh, Philly, the Phillies are seven and three in their last ten, even after losing two out of three at Dodger Stadium, as the Dodgers had their "quote unquote" reopening day uh, with full capacity. Uh, they are still Phillies still somehow are in second place, still seven and three in their last ten. If you lose the series, is pretty good. Um, but yeah, they won their they won the last game of that series. They are now playing the Giants, so they're really going through a gauntlet in their schedule right when they start to get hot. You'd like to play the worst teams in the league when you're playing this well because you'd be racking up some free wins, but instead you're playing the Dodgers and the Giants. Good luck to you. Uh, the Braves are 32-35, and 35, five and a half games back. Again, every single week it feels like they inch closer to 500, but in reality they're staying pretty much the same amount of games under, uh, which is giving me some doubt in this team. Their bullpen is almost last in the National League in many, many key stats. Uh, and overall, they just seem to be having troubles with the bullpen. And also, because of that bullpen troubles, if their starters don't go late into games, then their bullpen starts to get taxed even more, and it's not great to begin with. Uh, and their starting pitchers haven't been going very far in games. So all the issues are com are just kind of uh, adding on to each other, uh, combining with each other, and just making it a pretty bad season for the Braves so far. And look, when you're giving up four or five runs in nine innings from your bullpen— uh, it's not going to go well. I mean, their offense has to produce five, six, seven runs to win each game. And frankly, even for the best offense in baseball, that wouldn't be very sustainable. Uh, so the Braves overall just not having a great year. They have not. Been, they have been so bad that they have almost allowed the Washington Nationals to catch up to them. At 31-35, and 35, the Nationals are now six games back, only a half game back of the Braves for third place in this division. They have won five in a row. They are 7-3 and three in their last 10. And on the opposite side of that... You have the Miami Marlins, who somehow, after losing four games in a row, being four and six in their last ten, ten games under five hundred, nine games back in the division, plus two run differential. It makes absolutely no sense to me. But I guess the Marlins are just only losing in one-run games, and frankly, I'm not going to lie to you guys, I don't pay enough attention to Marlins games to know how they're losing just because, look, they're, frankly, they're not very interesting. You're 10 games under 500. I'm not going to watch you. Um, but they, they must be pulling some magic to be losing. They, they must be lo losing by literally the slimmest margins on the planet. 
Oh yeah, yesterday, actually on Wednesday. Actually on Wednesday, I do remember they lost on a walk-off one to nothing. Uh, and they also lost on a walk-off the day before. Uh, so maybe it is just them losing in one-run games. But yeah, this division is... It's been supposed to be jam-packed from the beginning of the season, but it looks like the Mets are just kind of running away with it. They're not really running away with it, per se, but, I mean, I don't see any of these other teams They're the only team that's been consistent, it looks like. They are definitely the only team that's been consistent. Well, they haven't even been very consistent, but much more consistent than the rest of the division. And uh, Jacob deGrom has been seemingly injured and leaving early every single game, and yet coming back the next game every single time. It's interesting. Um, But... Yeah, DeGrom left another game early after you mentioned during the podcast that the only thing that could derail his season was injuries. Then he got injured in the middle of that game. But then he ended up making his scheduled start this week. But then he left that start after three innings. By the way, he struck out eight people in three innings before leaving the game, which is just ridiculous. Uh, And then after that, he... I don't know what his status is for the next game. Uh, They said that the MRIs came back clean and he's just day-to-day, but... Look, I don't know what's going on with DeGrom, but hey, if, if, if to get an, a .05 or an 0.5 ERA, all you have to do is get injured every game and come out early, I bet every single pitcher in the league would sign up for that. Definitely. Every, but every pitcher in the league would sign up for his season that he's had this year, every season of their career. Almost every pitcher. But Yeah. All right, let's move over to the American League and start in the American League West. In the AL West, we have the Oakland A's at the top of the division at 44 and 27. Uh, they are two and a half games above the Houston Astros at forty and twenty-eight, uh, who are who are on a four-game win streak of their own. But the A's are on a seven-game win streak. Uh, the A's nine and one their last ten, and Houston eight and two in their last ten. Then you have the Seattle Mariners, uh, one game under five hundred. Well, actually, technically, no, yeah, one game under five hundred, thirty-five and thirty-six. Uh, they are nine games back. They're also nine games back. Uh, are the Los Angeles Angels at thirty-four and thirty-five? But they have actually they are they are seven and three in their last ten, so trending in the right direction. And uh, even with Mike Trout on the IL, they're still playing very well. Uh, and Shohei Otani is really carrying lifting a load on this team, and he's doing a lot to help them win. Uh, pitching very well, hitting a lot of home runs. In fact, hitting so many home runs that he's been invited to the home run derby. We'll talk about that more later. Uh, and then in the at the bottom of this division, you have the Texas Rangers. Uh, who are 17 and a half games back at 25 and 43. They've lost three in a row. They're three and seven in their last 10. Uh, so overall, this division, I think this division is actually one of the most steady divisions in the league. Um, you're always going to have the A's and the Astros at the top within two or three games of each other. And you're always going to have the Mariners and the Angels probably a decent margin behind. Maybe the Angels can catch up a little bit, but definitely the Mariners. And then you're always going to have the Rangers in the basement. Um, so... Again, a pretty consistent division, uh, one that's pretty easy to analyze and break down, and it seems like, even though I'm saying it's always the A's and the Astros within a few games of each other, I feel like I've never had to say that the Astros are in the lead of this division for a very long time. So, overall, the A's are really holding it down. Again, if a team goes on a four-game winning streak and doesn't end up and still is two and a half games back in the division, the, the team in first place is probably doing something right. Yeah, well, Oakland went 9-1 and one last week, and... Therefore, uh, Houston goes. I don't eight believe and, they played ten games in one week. So sorry, in their last ten. Thank you. Uh, and Houston went eight and two. So Houston goes eight and two. Eight hundred plays eight hundred ball in ten games, and they lose a game in the standings. Yep. So uh, I think they'll be there at the end of the year. AL Central. In the AL Central, we have the Chicago White Sox at the top of the division at forty-three and twenty-six with a plus ninety-nine best in baseball 
or actually no, second best in baseball. The Astros had the best at one hundred one at plus one hundred one. Uh, run differential in baseball. Uh, they are four games ahead of the Cleveland Indians at thirty eight and twenty nine, who have just a plus five run differential, kind of similar to the A's, although the A's have kind of turned that around recently. Both teams have lost their lost their last game, uh, but are also both seven and three in their last ten. Uh, and then you have the Royals in third, twelve games back at thirty and thirty seven. The Tigers in fourth, fourteen games back, twenty nine and forty. Although some positive news for the Tigers is they got Matt Manning to make his career debut this week. Some negative news: Matthew Boyd is going to be injured until through the All Star break. So Tigers going up and down a little bit uh, with that young, very, very, very young pitching staff of theirs. Uh, but overall, you expect that team to be just more excited about call ups than game results for a few more years until they actually can be competitive. Uh, but yeah, 14 games back. But hey, they're not in last. The team in last is the Minnesota Twins, who have very, very high expectations. So they're definitely feeling a lot worse about their season than the Tigers. Uh, Minnesota Twins at 27 and 41, 15 and a half games back. The minus 56 run differential. The Tigers have a minus 64 run differential, which is good enough. Well, or I guess you could say bad enough. Bad enough yeah. for fourth, fourth, to fourth worst in the league. All right, well, Tigers got to be feeling good about themselves. They're making a run at third place, but uh, that's just because Kansas City's been in the tank recently. Then again, they're Kansas City. Don't know how much talent they have. One and nine in their last ten. Let's move to the American League East. In the AL East, again, another division that has seemingly a pretty close race, especially when you consider the talent in third place, very similar to the NL West. Uh, You have the Tampa Bay Rays at the top. Uh, You have the Boston Red Sox a half game back. At 42 and 27, the Rays at 43 and 27. Although the Rays have lost their last three, while Boston has won their last three. Although both are six and four in their last ten somehow. Um, and then you have the Yankees, who are six and a half back at 36 and 33. Uh, they have lost their last one game in a row, uh, and they are five and five in their last ten. So overall, not too bad. Then you have the Blue Jays, who are now two games under 500 after losing a series to the Yankees. They've lost five games in a row, three and seven in their last ten. Uh, that makes them nine games back. Then you have the Baltimore Orioles at 23 and 46, 19 and a half games back with a minus, minus 76 run differential, third worst in baseball, uh, two and eight in the last 10. And you wanted me to eliminate la- them last week. I didn't do it then. I can do it now. J- just for some fun, I'll say that they're eliminated. Um, I think I could have called that before the season, but that, that's, that's kind of rude. But when you look at the four teams ahead of them, I, I don't think they really ever had much of a chance. Uh, and it definitely doesn't look like it now. All right. Well, that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball. Now let's turn our attention to a feature we're going to bring back this week uh, called Random Assorted Important News in the World of Sports. And uh, we're going to add a few extra non-news features to this as well. Patrick, let's start it off with a little tennis. Yes, we have neither Naomi Osaka nor Rafael Nadal playing in Wimbledon, of course, the biggest Grand Slam event in, in all of tennis. Uh, and Nadal has already said that he won't play in the Olympics either. Those are some pretty big blows. Uh, really, Nadal cited his uh, cited prolonging his career as the reason why he wasn't going to be playing in Wimbledon uh, after his after his loss in the semifinals of Roland Garros, the, the French Open. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, you already have also Roger Federer losing, I believe, in a tournament that he that, earlier than he had ever lost in twenty previous years in that tournament earlier this week as a uh, Wimbledon tune-up. Normally Federer owns Wimbledon, so 
it, it's pretty crazy to see these guys losing like this. Um, and dropping out and losing. And dropping out and losing, yeah. Uh, and Federer withdrew from the French Open, of course, so in, in the middle of the tournament. So uh, it, it's crazy, but all these players are getting kind of old, except for Osaka, who this is more about her mental health. And also, frankly, after how the other Grand Slams treated her after withdrawing from the French Open, I don't really blame her for skipping out on the other events either. Uh, and if she wants to take it out all the way through the Olympics, that's, that's all her decision. Uh, I don't have anything against it. It's very important. We've heard guys like Paul George talk about it, and, you know, he, he talked a lot about his recent mental, and according to the Clippers' results recently, looks like that's worked for him. Uh, moving on from tennis and that little bit of uh, bad news, uh, let's move to the MLB. Shohei Otani has become officially the first MLB player to be a confirmed participant in the Home Run Derby uh, for 2021, obviously a big home run derby in the era of home runs, and especially after we didn't have one last year, or any of the All-Star festivities for that matter. Uh, Shohei is actually only tied for third in the league in home runs, so you'd figure that there might be some guys, uh, some other more obvious picks even, that they might go to, and look, if you want to talk about those guys, there's Vladimir Guerrero and Fernando Tatis Jr., both juniors actually, uh, tied at the top of the league with 22 home runs this season. And Matt Olson also tied with Shohei with 19 home runs on the year. So if you want to look at it that way, it looks like we got Guerrero, Tatis, and Olson maybe participating. Uh, Aaron Judge has already stated that he doesn't really want to participate. Uh, he stated that for a long time. But uh, who, do you, who do you think are some other possible guys that they might try to get in there? Uh, I think you're going to have a lot of young players. I think a lot of veterans, for whatever reason, A, there's been a, a lot of injuries in all sports. I think people... Um, are really going to take as much time off as possible. They want a break. I know, you know, people had didn't play a full season last year. I just think people aren't. Uh, you're seeing this in general. I think what you're, you're mentioning about tennis is this: people are just taking a different perspective on things, whether that's in the world of sports and the world in general. And I think it's going to be something where this is going to be dominated by young players. Um, the older players are, are going to just are, are going to balk, kind of like you said, Aaron Judge and Cody Bellinger's hurt. Um, I don't know, maybe Jock Peterson will take another swing at it. I mean, Cody Bellinger only has one home run on the season, so I don't really think he's getting an invite anyway. But yeah. um, uh, as you mentioned, the young players. Look, Guerrero is 22 years old. Tatis is 22 years old. Otani is 26 years old. Olsen would be the old guy at the event, and he's only 27. Uh, you got Ronald Acuna, who's only 23, who could be a possible participant. You got Rafael Devers, who's only 24, who could be a participant. Uh, maybe Adelise Garcia is probably the oldest guy, although he's only a rookie this year, but he's a 28-year-old rookie, as opposed to Tatis and Guerrero, who have been up in the league since they were 20 and 19 years old. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. I think it can be very, very uh, young guy dominant, and frankly, out of all those guys I just mentioned, every single one of them is in the top 10 on the home runs list, and the only other guys are Jesse Winker and Salvador Perez. Uh, Jesse Winker is also 27, but Salvador Perez a league vet at 31. I would really like to see the seven seven young guys against Salvador Perez. I think it would be pretty interesting. Also, Salvador Perez, one of the more under underappreciated players in baseball. Been probably at least in the top three of catchers for a very long time, but does not get his uh, does not get the praise he deserves, although he has won a World Series, so I'm sure he's happy with, his, with how his career has gone. But look, why not get Salvador Perez in the home run derby? I think he deserves it, especially if we're going to put a bunch of young guys in there. Uh, and then maybe... You know, there are some other exciting guys like Javi Baez who you could put in there. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, it, it would be very interesting, but we'll have to see 
might be injury dependent, might be I'm declining to play uh, dependent, but I don't think that Acuna, Tatis, Guerrero, uh, probably not Olsen either because he hasn't really gotten, I don't think he's even made an all-star game yet, so I think all those guys would be happy to go. If Shohei said yes, I bet the other guys would go too because he even has a past injury, injury issues and pitches and hits, so if anybody's not going to go on basis of injury, it would be him. And the other guys, man, they just like to have fun. So I would expect those guys to want to go to the Home Run Derby. Maybe we should see if DeGrom will do it. Uh, DeGrom will definitely not do the Home Run Derby. <laughs> He's a good hitter. Uh, yeah, and I, w- one thing I see the Home Run Derby is it becoming more and more like the dunk contest in the NBA where you kind of do it, you win it, and you don't do it anymore. It, uh, it, it, it has Luckily, it hasn't been that way in the past. You've had some repeat guys and some older guys, but I really think it's going to be more of a novelty for the younger players. Well, it's definitely possible that it's like that, but also I think if you look at how many, if you look at this list, none of these guys are old who are on this list. I mean, Freddie Freeman and Jose Altuve are tied for tenth, but those are probably the youngest guys you're, the oldest guys you're going to get at thirty-one. Also, with Salvador Perez at thirty-one years old. So, frankly, and also the way that baseball is being played in this generation of players, all the home, this is the home run hitting generation, right? As as these players have come in. The home run numbers have rised a lot. So if that's what's going on, then yeah, I guess it has to be the young players who are in the home run derby. Uh, you usually see a hometown guy do it. Like, I don't see Mike Trout doing it except if the game's in Angel Stadium. I think Judge has announced he's only going to do it if it's in Yankee Stadium. So who on Colorado could... If it's Colorado, I mean, you'd have to go very far down on the list. It'd have to be probably, I would assume, Trevor's story is probably the highest on the list. But uh, actually, no, C.J. Crone has eight home runs, and apparently that's the Colorado Rockies' lead on the season. Mm. Uh, and let's just say eight doesn't exact... Or no, Ryan McMahon, actually. There you there go. You Ryan go. McMahon He'll has 16. Yeah. I think he's got to be he, in it. He probably be, will be in it. Be in um, it. He, he also... Although I will say, if the, it, since it is in Colorado, he would actually probably be most likely for them to send to the All-Star game in the first place. So maybe they want to put a different guy in the home run derby, but nah. I don't really think they have another option. They always have uh, a hometown favorite. It'll be but him. yeah, if they have, they, they could definitely put McMahon there. Uh, yeah, he's tied for 10th in the league, but if you got those other guys through 1 through 9, I think, it, it, frankly, it's kind of hard to get to put to fit him in there. Uh, so you'd have, to, you'd have to leave out someone who's probably at 20 home runs before the All-Star break, which is crazy. Yeah. All right, you've, had, uh, you've got some other notes you want to talk about. Uh, yes, we have the very strange blockbuster trade at 6.20 in the morning. Uh, Boston Celtics, the Boston Celtics, I should say, have sent Kemba Walker, the 16th pick in this upcoming draft, and a 2025 second rounder to the, who do you think is, who do you think is building up picks? Oklahoma City Thunder for Al Horford, who returns to Boston, uh, Moses Brown, and a, se- a 2023 second round pick. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say, I don't know what you think about this, but I'm going to state flat out, I don't like this trade for the Celtics, but I don't hate it. Uh, I think that something had to be changed, but I don't think Kemba Walker was the thing that had to be changed. It's strange. The timing's strange. Like The timing, A, like you said, how early in the morning, uh, and then the timing in the middle of the NBA playoffs, and um, with with the shuffling, they're sending it's sending a message. Brad Stevens, who knows these players better than anybody, who's now running the front office there, clearly is sending a message that we probably don't understand. Uh, yeah, and it, it might have something to do with uh, the rumored locker room troubles that have uh, kind of hurt the Celtics for a really long time, even dating back to when Kyrie Irving was still with the team. Uh, again, all rumors, so not really very credible to go off of. But if the rumors are true. 
then uh, maybe it's just they're trying to put Horford back into the team as a veteran who was a stabilizing kind of figure in that roster back then, and maybe they think that he can do it now. And frankly, they did have some big man issues. I think really Robert Williams is the only guy who's been promising for them uh, at all recently, and they traded away a lot of their big men too, so they traded away Daniel Tice. So uh, it's... It, it's perplexing, but at the same time, I definitely see that something needs to be changed. And if you're trying to figure out who's going to be who, who you can get assets back for, you're not trading away uh, Tatum or Brown. And if you're not going to do that, I think Kemba is the only one of any value on their roster, frankly. Uh, just, just I, I, the only guy that they at least have under control. Maybe Evan Fournier could get you something back, but he's not under control. He's a free agent, so. I, I, again, I, it's very, very strange from the Celtics' perspective, but I, I agree with you. It might be something that we just don't understand. But something that a lot of people have brought up is the 16th pick isn't very high in the draft. Uh, but, I, I mean, it's weird to see first-round picks go off the board and be traded before the combine even takes place. I mean, we don't even have half the invites for the combine in place. We know a few guys who have gotten the invite. We don't even know who's going to be there. We know where it is. Uh, it's little. It's a little strange, but then again, when it's the Oklahoma City Thunder who what have 800, 850 first round picks in the next two years, uh, of course they're for, of course they're building up more first round picks. Uh, I don't really. I, I think that makes a lot of sense for them. Uh, but yeah, I think this is another example of the Thunder probably getting a first round pick for a player, trading someone away, and then they're going to trade away Kemba again and also get a first round pick back, just like they did with Chris Paul. Uh, and frankly, just like they did with Al Horford this season, uh, and they also did it with Danny Green in the in a matter of about a week and a half uh, last off season. So the Thunder are marvelous at turning these things into picks. But the question is, when are you actually going to start picking players and actually playing the players? It's interesting. It's an interesting conversation. As we knew, Al Horford was also shut down for pretty much all the second half of the season in a, in a mutual agreement. Uh, supposedly, the Thunder had built up his asset stock enough and looks like this trade is proving that that happened yep all right well any anything else in this trade before we uh throw a little curveball no pun intended for your last uh random point all right well what is that last random point well we've been following college baseball a little bit uh not not enough in the regular season to be talking about the entire tournament but now that we are at the college world series we figured it's about time that we should Talk about uh, college baseball a little bit, and uh, we're going to make our predictions for the College World Series. Uh, in one side of the bracket, we have Stanford against NC State. Stanford beat Texas Tech to get here. NC State, actually a three-seed in their regional, beat the number one overall-seeded Arkansas Razorbacks to get here. Uh, Arkansas literally being the number one team in the nation. NC State being one of the last three teams into the tournament. Uh, then you have the number four and five national seeds, Vanderbilt, actually the reigning champions from two years ago now still, uh, and the number five overall seeded uh, Arizona Wildcats, and that's that concludes that side of the bracket. On the other side of the bracket, you have number two overall Texas against number seven Mississippi State, who was in the last College World Series too, uh, and then you have unseeded Virginia against number three overall seed Tennessee, who went through LSU to get to the College World Series. So let's start with who. what is your prediction for who ends up in the College World Series and who beats who? Oh, I have to start. Okay. Um, well, let's start with that top bracket, and I'll, I'll mention NC State. Um, unseated, but uh, I believe headed into the beginning of the year, they were in everybody's top 15. They had a rough patch 
in the middle of the year, but playing great baseball, obviously great baseball to knock off Arkansas. And a little was, bit similar to the team. To the now you're going to steal that, my word. Don't steal <laughs> I my, knew exactly what you were don't saying. Don't step. That very similar to, to <laughs> Michigan 2019, their run over number one overall seed UCLA. Uh, although I don't think, I know we were at these games, Michigan didn't beat the best pitcher in the nation no. that year to get to the College World Series like NC State did in a crazy game. Um, so, you know, your heart says NC State has the momentum, but you then look and you see and uh, by the way, go ahead and, and by the way as you're saying if you're looking at the momentum and you're going to and I know I knew you're about to move on to the other side of that of the other side of the the, the other mini side of the mini bracket uh, but look Stanford beat Texas Tech on the road two games in a row Texas Tech was one game away from being in the College World Series final 2 years ago yeah. so this that was not a weak program that they beat and they beat them on the road in two games so look Stanford has some momentum too so much as you draw the parallels to 2019 Michigan that in NC State, uh, much like that team, unfortunately Vanderbilt stands in the way of your ultimate prize. With Rocker and Lighter, they have two great arms, uh, especially in a double elimination tournament or if you get to the College World Series. But we we're just talking about this bracket. Very tough to beat them as Michigan witnessed, even taking the first game against them. So I will go with Vanderbilt um, in the top half of the bracket. Moving to the bottom half of the bracket, the only pitching staff that really uh, that can compete with Vanderbilt's top two is the depth of Texas's starting rotation. So um, I was really struggling between, as you you know, before you and I were um, talking about this before the podcast, really struggling struggling between Texas and Tennessee. Um, I'm going to say UT. No, um, I will say I will pick uh, number two seeded Texas again. I think you're going to see some great games here, and at this stage, everybody's a great team. Um, but but number let, let's go with Texas um, from that side of the bracket and then I will it is very hard to repeat and this is a weird repeat because there was a year in between. Um, Just but ask Virginia about it in the NCAA, in basketball. Yeah, it, I still you know Vanderbilt's still the hunted, um, and I'm gonna go with Texas to beat Vanderbilt and take the College World Series trophy. What about you? Yeah, so we deliberated about this for a while. I will say while I am also going to pick Vanderbilt to not only advance past Arizona but to get to the College World Series final. Don't overlook Arizona. Arizona is a very, very skilled team. Uh, the Pac-12 overall. Huge offensive team. League. Huge yeah. offensive team. But yeah, a very good overall Pac-12, very, very good at baseball. As we know, UCLA has been one of the all-time best programs, and you also have these two teams who have been good this year, Stanford, Arizona and Stanford, yep. both on this side of the bracket. Uh, but as you draw parallels between NC State and the Michigan team, Virginia actually came in at the exact same spot that Michigan did, the the second-to-last team in the tournament. And when Virginia won the uh, College World Series, I believe, six or seven years ago at this point, with Chris Taylor, the, the Dodger, on their roster, actually, uh, they had almost an eerily, eerily similar road. They also were the three-seed in their regional, the second-to-last team in the tournament, and beat a team with, I think it was two games off of the record, uh, after losing the first game in the Super Regional to get to the College World Series. So look, if you want to go off of history, Virginia, how about Virginia mirroring Virginia on a title run? I don't think it's going to happen because, frankly, my pick to come out of the lower side of the bracket is the team they are playing in the first round. Uh, I'm going to pick Tennessee, and I'm going to pick Vanderbilt to beat Tennessee in the final. Look, I can't pick against the SEC in baseball. It's really, really well, hard Tennessee's to do Tennessee's in the SEC, so you're picking against them. Well, yeah, but I'm picking against <laughs> the SEC because I have to pick the SEC to beat the SEC. You, you should pick say which team you can't is. pick against teams in the SEC from the state of Tennessee. 
Like you can't pick against them, Vanderbilt and Tennessee. Well, and so you got an all SEC, all Vanderbilt, I got an all, uh, all SEC, SEC all, all Tennessee, Tennessee final, but Vanderbilt. And I got Vanderbilt winning. I'll say in three, but you know it's actually really interesting because I feel like it's almost impossible for Vanderbilt to win a College World Series in three games because you'd think that Lighter and Rocker, the top two, would win them the two games, and even if it's close, you'd think that it could be a very close two zero as opposed to having them go to the third starter. I think. Vanderbilt could close that out easily, and I think just that top two is just too good to get there. Okay, well, we will obviously uh, continue to follow along with this. Um, the College World Series kicks off this weekend, and the College uh, World Series then wraps up uh, with that final three best of three series on uh, June 28th, June 29th, and June 30th. But right now we'll wrap up this edition of the 4th and 24th podcast, uh, and our next podcast will be on Monday, June 21st, where we will have our weekly look back at the latest NBA action, including uh, what will be the end of the conference semifinals um, and see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his MLB power rankings on our website, fourthand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.